0: Hey, for the next few moments, I'm going to walk us through um, a bit of a journey to understand some some key, two key kind of elements that we have been looking at in terms of what is, is Good Friday and Easter all about. Two words, the word finished and the word future. And those two words kind of shape Jesus' death on the cross on Friday and his resurrection on Sunday and how those two things work together in our lives. And so before we kind of walk through what each of those means individually and then how they work together, I want you to kind of work with me in terms of a a picture or kind of a phrase that sticks in your mind. Okay, that's this. You and I, if you choose to make a commitment to give your life to Jesus, to experience the fullness of life, you and I walk in the shadow of the cross and in the light of the resurrection. Let me explain what I mean by that. When I use the word shadow, usually it's like, oh, that's kind of a negative feel. But I'm not talking about sh- shadow in terms of darkness or evil or something on the bad side. But when, you, when you're when you walking away from something and there's a light that is coming from behind you that shines on something, there's a shadow that is cast over you. And if, you, if you've if you discovered who Jesus is, you live in this constant reality that the cross is this huge marker in history and in your history that reminds you every time that you think about it that you are forgiven, that you stand before God right, that you are free from the sin that was controlling you because Jesus died on the cross. So there's this constant reminder and reality of this shadow that in a good way is cast over your life. But because that shadow is present, it moves us forward towards the light, which is the light of the resurrection, which is the reality that Jesus not only died, but he rose from the dead. And because of that, we move forward from the cross to the future, and we'll talk about how we experience the power of resurrection, not some distant event that occurs when we die, but it's a present reality in all of our lives. So understanding that today, we have to understand that in order for something to truly begin in our life, something else has to be completed. Something has to be finished. So this is the question. What did Jesus actually finish on the cross? In fact, those are, we're using the words of Jesus. He said this, his, his last words on the cross, it is finished. What did Jesus mean by that? There's a lot of, a lot of categories, but I want to kind of simplify it down to three. What did Jesus actually finish off on the cross? What did he deal with on the cross? The first thing is this. The, on the cross, Jesus finished off our sin. And this is really important because you think, if you've been in church, like, I've heard you talk about sin. If you haven't, you're like, please don't talk about sin. Let's talk about resurrection. That's much more pleasant, right? But here's the reality of sin sin is the very thing that keeps you from actually knowing God. Because whether you know it or not, sin, when it, it happens in our life, when we fail and we do wrong things, or there's, there's things that happen in our life, there's this wedge or, or this distance that comes between us and God. Because God desires us to be right, and because we want to relate in a right way to Him, when we sin, we, there's a distance. And I think probably a good analogy to understand how sin works in our life is that sin is like garbage. It's, it's probably, I mean, if obviously sin is a bad thing. And it is like garbage, and it does stink in our lives, and it does kind of wreak havoc on our lives. But, but sin's like garbage, and if you don't deal with garbage, what happens to it? It piles up. It becomes a greater issue. It stinks more. There's disease involved. There's all kind of bad stuff that happens with garbage. And so what happens if, if we don't deal with our garbage, it becomes an issue not only for us but for everybody else around us. That's why we're so grateful that every week you take your trash cans out to the curb and somebody comes by and takes your trash. Aren't we grateful for that, right? Because it would just pile up. But what if you can't deal with your trash? What if there's too much trash in your life that you you can't deal with it? You know, there's a city, probably multiple cities, but one city in particular in our country that doesn't know what to do with their trash. It's New York City. In fact, New York City has and has had for decades the biggest garbage problem around, because in a, in a given year that the New York City area produces on average 14 million tons of trash a year. That's crazy. That's a lot of trash. In fact, it costs about 400 million dollars a year to get rid of the trash. So there's a big cost, and it's a big issue. In fact, they've had an issue for years. Back in the 1980s, uh, you see a picture of this barge full of garbage that a tugboat was pushing out to sea, and they had loaded that barge because they were going to actually export it, which they even do today. That You know, some of the garbage from New York City ends up in China. They had to get it everywhere because there's so much of it. Well, this barge went up and down the East Coast trying to get states to receive the garbage and dispose of it at a price. Six states said absolutely not so somebody got an idea well let's ask mexico and mexico said oh no and someone says well how about belize and belize said absolutely not so what did that barge do that tugboat that's not made to go all up and down the east coast had to turn around with that barge and come all the way back up and dispose of it somewhere in new york city because every state and two countries realized that the toxicity level in that garbage was too great for them to take what do you and i do with our garbage that's the question now on a much more important personal kind of situation scenario What if you can't deal with your own sin? What if you can't change your own sin? What if you can't deal with your sin? Because see, what sin is is sin, when it happens, we incur a debt, and that debt kind of piles up in our life. And if we don't find somebody to pay for that debt, it becomes like garbage, and it controls and dominates our life, and it stinks. But Jesus finished off our sin on the cross. He dealt with the very thing that would keep us from getting access to God. In fact, listen to what the Bible says in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 12 and 13. It says, In those days you were living apart from Christ, you were excluded from citizenship among the people of Israel, and you did not know the covenant promises God had made to them. You lived in this world, here it is, without God, without hope. Why? Because of our sin. But now you have been united with Christ Jesus once you were far away from God, but now you have been brought near to him through The blood of Christ. What is the blood of Christ? It's a symbol for Jesus' death on the cross. We were far away. Why? Because the garbage put us at a distance to God, but the cross finished off our sin so that we could be reunited and reconciled back to God. Second thing, truly important for us to understand about what is finished on the cross is that Jesus not only finished off our sin, he finished off our shame. And this is really important because you know what shame does to us? Shame keeps you and I from actually enjoying God. We can't enjoy God. Why? Because what shame does, shame comes along in the midst of our lives and out of our brokenness and our sin, it comes along and attaches itself to us. And every time we try to move forward in life or every time we try to achieve something in life, this little voice comes along and whispers to us, you're not good enough. Anybody heard the voice before? I have. And it whispers in your ear and it causes you, what shame causes us to do is instead of pushing forward and being honest and being transparent, shame pushes us back and causes us to retreat and to hide. In fact, this is from the beginning of time. Shame has been an issue for humanity throughout all of history. You go back to the beginning of time when Adam and Eve were in the garden. Chapter two, we could paraphrase and say that they were naked and happy, okay? That's a really loose translation, but they were. Chapter three, sin enters the equation. What happens? When God comes walking in the garden in Genesis chapter three, do you remember what Adam and Eve did? They were hiding. Why were they hiding? Because they were ashamed. They had to be covered. So shame caused them to retreat from God. And shame does that. Shame causes us to hide. It causes us to feel like we're inadequate constantly and we try to hide it from everybody else because we don't want to know, we don't want anybody else to know and especially we don't want God to know that somehow we're not good enough. We're not perfect. A movie came out recently called Wonder which is based on a book book called Wonder who's, it's about Augustine Pullman. Amazing movie. This is a definite must see, and it's uh, based on the true reality of a, a young boy who was born with a, a disease that caused disfigurement of his face, and so because of that, his parents, to kind of shelter him, they homeschooled him until he was in fifth grade to keep him away from the outside world, but they realized eventually he was going to have to be a part of society. So in fifth grade, anybody remember how awkward fifth grade was? What a great time. Go to school in, in fifth grade when everyone's going to ridicule you, right? So they sent him to school in the first week to cope with this, knowing what how would happen, He wore an astronaut helmet. So when he went to school, he would rather have kids look at him strange because he's wearing an astronaut helmet than to look at who he really is and see his disfigured face and feel their sting of rejection and shame. But eventually his parents were pretty smart and they helped him to realize, you're gonna have to face this. You're gonna have to come out and take that helmet off and be yourself. And eventually he did. Greatest part at the end of that movie, he's sitting at his kind of fifth grade graduation and he turns to his mom and he says, mom, thanks for for making me go to school. Because he had gotten past the shame. How do you and I get past the shame in our lives? How do we get beyond that? How do we take the helmet off and be honest? The only way that we can do that, the only way that that, that the whisper in our ear will be silenced is through what Jesus did when he took care of our sin. Sin attaches itself to the shame, and when the sin is taken care of, guess what? The shame goes away. Listen to what the Bible says about this. Colossians 1, verses 21 22. This includes you who are once, oh, again, there was talking about the same concept, away, far away from God. You were enemies separated from him by your evil thoughts and actions, yet now he has reconciled you to himself through the death of Christ in his physical body. And as a result, he has brought you into his own presence, and you are holy, I love this, and blameless as you stand before him without a single fault. If you are faultless, you can't have shame. Because you have nothing to hide. And here's the crazy thing. This is, I will never understand this. I don't think any of us will ever understand this, but that's because it's God. So Jesus, when he forgives our sin on the cross, he takes that debt. He pays for it with his perfect life. He doesn't leave us empty-handed. He doesn't just take our sin and somehow there's, there's this vacuum of our sin. He exchanges something. He says, I will take your sin and then in exchange, I will give you my righteousness. So that when you are standing before God, when God looks down at us after we've embraced who Jesus is, he doesn't see our sin, present, past, future. He sees what? He sees righteousness that comes from Jesus. And so he looks at us and he says, you're blameless. You're pure. You have no fault. And if there is no fault, there's nothing to hide. And if there's nothing to hide, there is no shame. For some of you, you don't have to raise your hand, but some of you are dying to be freed from shame. Jesus does that through finishing off our sin and our shame on the cross. And there's a third reality of what Jesus finished off, and that is that he finished off our self-righteousness. So you think, well, that's interesting. How did he finish off our self-righteousness? Well, here's self-righteousness is the very thing that you and I don't realize this, but it keeps us from actually understanding God. People who are confused by the way God relates to humanity are people who think that somehow you have to be self-righteous in order for you to be connected with God. But the opposite is actually true because God doesn't relate to you and I on the basis of our righteousness. He relates to us on the basis of this thing called grace. And grace is one of the most difficult things for human beings to understand and embrace because you and I always want to have skin in the game. You and I always want to represent. You and I always want to do enough to feel like at least I can pat myself on the back just a little bit so then God can make up the rest. But I have to do something in order to be something so that God can embrace me. See, that's self-righteousness. That is trying to constantly earn. When you live that kind of life, it's exhausting. Because every moment, every day when you wake up, you have to look at that day and say, how do I prove myself today? How do I earn my own righteousness? How am I make sure that I'm going to be good enough? It is exhausting. And it's a cycle that will never end. In fact, somebody who's experienced this and actually was very honest with it's actually Madonna. Look at this quote from Madonna. This is from a Vogue magazine interview a few years ago. This is what she said. She says, my drive in life comes from a fear of being mediocre that is always pushing me. I push past one spell of it and discover myself as a special human being. But then I feel I'm still mediocre and uninteresting unless I do something else. Because even though I have become somebody, I still have to prove that I am somebody. My struggle has never ended, and I guess it never will. Anybody relate to that? That's what life is like when we're going after, trying to be self righteous, trying to earn it. And that is something that you will do even before you know Jesus, and it's something sadly after the fact we still keep trying to earn. And God says, No, grace is something you don't deserve. Grace is something I give as a gift. Grace is something you receive and you cannot earn. In fact, The writer of a good portion of the New Testament, his name, we call him the Apostle Paul. Listen to what he said about his own experience, his own journey in, in the book of Philippians. This is what he said in Philippians 3. He says, yes, everything else is worthless when compared to the infinite value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have discarded everything else, counting it all as, there's that word, garbage, so that I could gain Christ and become one with him. I no longer count my own righteousness. There is that self-righteousness again through obeying the law. Rather, I become righteous through faith in Christ. For God's way of making us right with himself depends on faith. Paul got that one. And if, if you read Paul in history, Paul was probably as righteous a human being as you could be and yet he still wasn't righteous enough for God. So he's, listen, he says, I throw it all the way, I kind' it as garbage. I put it on the barge that Jesus takes out to sea on the cross so that I can be found right with God. Why? Because of Jesus' righteousness in me. So, Jesus finished off our sin, our shame, our self righteousness. Now, here's the really cool part. Because that's all done, that's the shadow of the cross over our life that says, I don't have to worry about that all of my life. I can walk in forgiveness of sin. I can walk in freedom from shame. And I don't have to earn it because I have Jesus' righteousness, which means Jesus died on Friday, but he rose on Sunday. Why? Because resurrection is about life, it's about the way we live our lives. And it's not about the way we live our lives after we die, it's actually about the way we live our lives now, tomorrow, forever three realities of what jesus created when he died and then when he rose again his resurrection accomplished these things in our life the first one is this is that jesus through his resurrection created a future today and this is hard we're like that's an oxymoron future today come on no future today meaning that the present reality of the resurrection isn't something that starts in the future it starts immediately in the moment you understand who jesus is and you surrender your life to him why because he does something to change you and this is, this is important for us to understand, because this concept works with this reality. You're going to see there's a pattern in the way that God works. This has to do with life after death, not life after physical death. We'll talk about it. The pattern that Jesus uses is death, life, death, life. We're in the first death life. Why? Because the Bible describes the condition that you and I are in apart from God as being dead. Spiritually dead. We don't have a spiritual pulse. There's no life, but we, we think that we're alive, but we're actually dead because we haven't discovered what life is yet until Jesus brings us to life. And the way that you know that you've experienced that new life is that you actually experience something new, different. We use the word transformation. There's something that changes. Now, when you, when you choose to follow Jesus, does it mean all of your problems disappear? No. It means that Jesus gives you a capacity to see things become brand new in your life as he continues to walk you through what it is to recover from sin in your life. But there's a distinct death to life. There is I actually live now in a way that is different than the way that I used to live. Why? Because there's something in me that is absolutely brand new. And this is one of the things that we don't necessarily fully understand. What is it to be old or dead and be what made new and alive? We're always in our skepticism thinking, I don't buy it. I don't think it's real. I don't think it's really new. So a number of years ago, probably about three years ago, before Jordan bought his own car, he was driving my car. And uh, I, had a, I had my car was in good shape when I bought it. It was, it was a good deal, and I, I, I liked my car. And so one day Jordan was on his way to school. He stopped at a stoplight. The guy behind him forgot how to use the brake and used Jordan as the brake and rear-ended him and caused about five or $6,000 worth of damage on my car. And thank goodness Jordan had, he just had whiplash, and it took a couple weeks, but he got better. He was Okay. But I remember when Jordan calls me, he was great. He, he, Dad, he goes, Dad, I got this. I got this. I said, take a picture of this. Take he did it all. It was like, great. I get off the phone, and I put the phone down, and this, I'm thinking, oh, no. Let me tell you why I'm, why I'm thinking, oh, no. So when I have my first car, my first car got into two accidents. Neither were my fault. In fact, one of them, I wasn't even in it. It was parked on the side of the road, and someone just smashed into it. And each time that I took it to the insurance company and the adjuster gave me the money and then I went to a body shop, the car never came back the same way. Anybody know what I'm talking about? The doors didn't close right. Literally, in fact, Kim can tell you one of the doors never really closed right. And when it got really hot, you couldn't open it. So this is how really romantic it is when I take Kim on a date. I would open my door and then I'd unlock her door and I'd kick it with my foot and it would pop open. (laughs) Really goes over well, you know, when you're on a date. So I'm thinking, oh no! And that was a—they don't even make these anymore. But it was a Mazda GLC. And so as soon as I hang up the phone, Jordan, I'm thinking I'm going to get Mazda GLC repair. I'm like, my car is never going to be the same. In fact, it was probably the nicest car that I'd ever owned. It's still a 2006 Camry, still one of the nicest cars I've ever owned. I'm like, I want it to be in good shape. And so, so we get the deal with insurance taken care of. We go to the body shop, and right off the bat, they're like, hey, we're going to give you a rental. I'm like, give me a rental? All right. Well, this is already an upgrade from what before. I had to walk to work, you know, when I didn't have my car before. So long story short, three weeks goes by. I go back to the body shop to pick it up, and I remember going in the office, and then I step out. The guy goes, let's go get your car. I step out of the office, and I'm not kidding. I'm not exaggerating. I looked at it, and I said, that's not my car. He goes, yeah, it is. I said, no, 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 my car didn't look that good. He goes, oh, no, this is your car. So he starts walking me around it. The whole back end of the car, everything was brand new. The bumper's brand new, the paint job is brand new, the muffler's replaced. I mean, everything looks brand new. I'm like, my car never looked this good, when I, even when I bought it. And of course, the, the, the guy at the body shop, he's just smiling. He's like, would you go on Yelp right now and maybe tell other <laughs> people about us? But so I, I get in the car, I'm thinking, it's not gonna drive the same way. And sure enough, it drives even the same way. In fact, when I look at, I got in my car, I'm like, this is actually better. So I, I want to call Jordan and say, hey, Kate, can you take my car and get an accident again? Because the front end needs some work. I'm kidding. <laughs> I love my son more than my car, okay? But the point is this, is that there's a skepticism that all of us have about something actually being changed and transformed and being brand new. If somebody rose from the dead, do you think they have the capacity to make you brand new? Absolutely they do. Jesus is the only person in all of human history that has risen from the dead. You cannot find a grave, you cannot find a body, you can't find bones or ashes anyway, because he's alive. And because of that, you and I can experience a future that begins today. In fact, listen to what the Bible says in this regard in Ephesians 2 in the past you were spiritually dead because of your sins and the things you did against God but God's mercy is great and he loves us very much Uh, it says though we were spiritually dead because of the things we did against God he gave us here it is new life in Christ you have been saved by God's grace that's the good news second reality of what the resurrection does and the, the future it creates for us is that it creates a future tomorrow now remember following that pattern This has to do with the life that you and I experience before we die, before we physically die. See, the resurrection means that death, the ultimate doom for all of humanity, the ultimate issue for all of us, has been taken care of. And that means the way that I live my life from the moment I understand that, the moment I follow Jesus, every moment of every day until I physically die has a different reality to it. Because we'll talk about this in a moment. Death physically is not the end. But that doesn't mean you wait to die to figure that out. You start living today. Why is that important? Because we have this skewed idea of time. Time is a commodity. Time is like money. Time is, you have a limited amount that you live and you can invest. And one moment disappears and you can't get it back. How do you live your life? How do you deal with the time that you have? If you realize that death at the end is not the end, then you live life and invest time completely differently than you would if death was the very end. What does that mean? Well, maybe you fall into one of these categories. When you look at your time, maybe you're the kind of person that really just passes time. And what do I mean by that? Well, when you look at your life, if you were honest, now you would never say this because we wouldn't say this because this would be embarrassing, but this is not that you're not busy, but when you look at your life, if you were honest, you would say, my life is boring. It is. I'm really busy doing a lot of things, but There's no excitement to it. I kind of do the same thing every day. I get up around the same time. I go do the same job. I watch the same TV shows. I eat the same food. Now, I don't think all of us are exactly like that, but there's a routine that almost like I'm just passing time until something hopefully happens in my life, and it gets better, and it never gets better. Or maybe maybe your even life is more difficult, and you're not passing time. You're doing time. And that reality is, is that you, you look at your life because of pain and suffering and the things you've gone through, you feel like your life is a prison sentence and you're doing time. And in doing time, you're just waiting for the end to come so you can get out of your suffering. So you're just kind of waiting and bearing down and hanging on through the pain and the suffering and you're just doing time and you're waiting for somebody to come and unlock your cell and set you free. Or maybe, maybe it's the bigger picture. This is what all of us long for. Maybe you're not passing time and maybe you're not doing time, but you know what you're doing? You're killing time. And the reason you're killing time is if you were honest, this is what you believe about your life. Your life is meaningless. Your life has no purpose. There's no point. In fact, you, maybe you've thought this thought. What in the world am I here for? Why do I even exist? Why, why, what, is, what is humanity about? Why is the earth even here? I think all of us at one time or another, we've thought those big thoughts, and we look down at ourselves insignificant on this big planet in the middle of this huge universe, and we feel like it's pointless. So I'm just trying to make time go faster and kill it off, So I can just be done with it. Why? Because it's pointless. You know what all of those three areas of time are screaming out and crying out for? It's what all of us want, is meaning. Human beings have to have meaning. Otherwise, there's no reason for us to exist. There has to be a point. There has to be a purpose. Now back up for a moment. If the God of the universe Sent Jesus into the world to die on a cross to free you from your sin, your sel- shame, and your self righteousness, and rose from the dead so that you could have life. There's a purpose to your life. God has given you meaning, and it's not tied up in your job or your position or your finances or the place that you live. It's tied up in the fact that God's desire for you is so powerful, He's given you the highest value on the planet His life. That's meaning. That's what the resurrection allows for you and I. It's the reality we have to embrace. In fact, listen to what Jesus says about life. He says, the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but I have come to give life. And what kind of life? Life in all its fullness, the fullest capacity of life. That means that if you and I understand the resurrection's real, then we don't don't kill time, pass time, or do time, we invest time. Why? Because this is the last point. This is so important. The resurrection creates for us a future that is forever. And so this is the reality of life without death. And this is important. This is not like, because I've been in the church and I've been a Christian for a long time and when you come to know Jesus, there's something in you that says, hey, I'm forgiven, I'm saved, Jesus is coming back someday or I'm gonna die so I'm just gonna wait. No, no, no. We'll get there, we'll enjoy that but we live what we live today, we live tomorrow and then we live forever. What does that mean? This has to do with this limit of death being lifted off of us. Now, because you and I are all physically alive, we don't get the reality of this, but those who have gone before us, they get this, big time. And this is the change. This is the switch. When Jesus rose from the dead, the period at the end of your life became a comma. You and I, we live in this. This is the mindset. You You and I don't say this, but the mindset is, I come to the end of the sentence of my life, and there's this firm period, and that's the end. The resurrection says, absolutely not. Jesus erased the period, and he put a comma. What does a comma mean? A comma means there's more of a sentence to come. And that means that you and I have to understand, this is the reality. We don't get this yet because this is, our, this is our reality right here. But the sentence on the other side of the comma on the second half of the sentence is better than the first half. But if you and I understand that it's a comma, which means death is simply a passageway into life, then we live differently today. So some of you have probably heard of a guy named Billy Graham. Billy Graham died last month. But listen to what he said a few years before he died, because Billy Graham got this. He got this. He says this. Someday you will read or hear that Billy Graham is dead. Don't believe a word of it. I shall be more alive than I am now. I will just have changed my address. I have gone into the presence of God. Isn't that amazing? Billy Graham got that. And now he's on the other side of the comma. And then eventually, like all who follow Jesus in eternity, he will get reunited with his physical body, and he'll have a resurrected body to enjoy God's presence forever. Can you imagine what that would be like? So this is, this is one last verse that reminds us where this eternal life comes from. John writes this. He says, this is what God told us. God has given us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. Jesus' death on the cross finishes everything off. But his resu- resurrection gives us a, a present reality that leads to a future of hope. So I'm going to close with this. I'm going to ask the worship team come and join. We're going to sing a couple last songs. But before we do that, I want you to capture this. This is one of those moments where, you know, you hear somebody talk and they say, if you haven't heard anything else today, hear this. Okay, this is one of those moments. Because what, what you and I need to capture in this is that we do have the finished work of Christ and we do have the resurrection that gives us life. But why has that all transpired? Why has Jesus done all of that? Because he went through pretty tough stuff for us. Being God, becoming human, suffering and dying on a cross, going through death, rising from the dead. I mean, these are incredible things that he's done for us. Why did he do that? One primary reason. Because of love. Now you're like, "Ah, I'm a church, and this is really cheesy now. It's like the light's gonna come on. It's gonna be like touched by an angel. Pastor John's gonna get all touchy-feely. No. When you came into the building today, and you've probably noticed if you've come into church the last couple weeks, you've seen a few roses around. Anybody seen a few red roses? There's a reason. More than just the fact that a red rose is beautiful, a red rose symbolizes love. And one of the things that you and I have a, tr- a trouble with as human beings is we forget all the time. We forget small things, we forget big things, and we re- usually do forget the biggest thing. And that is that God loves us so much that he would do all of this. And beyond that, he would actually have an intention and purpose in all of human history and an intention and purpose for your life that he has orchestrated every moment of your life for one specific reason. He loves you and wants you to be in relationship with him. He wants you to be free from your sin. He wants you to be free from your shame. He wants you to get over your self-righteousness. He wants you to live to the fullest capacity today. He wants you to live with hope for tomorrow. He wants you to live forever. He's done all of that to get your attention. And his love comes in the form of an invitation. It isn't just a feeling and an emotion. Oh, I can walk through my life just knowing that God loves me. No, his love comes in an invitation. And here's the ultimate outcome of human love in relationship is, is kind of punctuated by this thing called marriage. What is marriage? It is commitment between two people who love each other and say, I'm committing myself fully to you for the rest of my life. The outcome of God's love for you and I is that kind of commitment. Jesus calls us into relationship. He says, listen, I've removed your sin. I've made a way for you to be connected with God so you can live in relationship with him and you can actually live. So I'm going to pray in a moment. But before I do that I'm going to ask you go ahead if you came in the, today you noticed there's probably a rose petal on your seat. If you don't have one find one. Grab it right now once you have it in your hand. And the reason you need to have it in your hand is you're going to hold on to it right now and you're thinking, "Oh, I don't have to hang on to it." Yeah, it might go in your pocket, it might go in your purse, but you're going to take it with you. Why? Because you need a reminder. You need a reminder. And here's the reminder. It leads to a commitment. In a moment I'm going to pray and I'm going to pray specifically for you if you're here today. And you, if you would be honest with yourself, you know that there has not been a moment in your journey and in your history where you have said, I am fully committing myself to Jesus. I am giving him all of my sin and my shame and my brokenness. I am letting him take my sin out to sea through the cross so that I can actually start to live. But I'm gonna make that commitment today to now turn from the way I used to live and embrace the life that Jesus has for me. When I pray, I'm gonna ask you with that rose petal in your hand, that's Jesus' invitation to you. It says, listen, I want your life i want your life to be life but you have to turn your life over to me when i finish praying we're going to go into a couple songs but i want to just mention at the end of our service there's a little sign in the back that says following jesus and if you're making this commitment today i'm going to ask you as people are kind of leaving there'll be somebody positioned by that sign and you just walk by and say hey i'm making that commitment today they want to give you a bible help you get connected with jesus it is not a membership class it is not getting connected connected to antioch it is finding your way into following jesus we just want to agree with you for a couple moments today so let's pray jesus we thank you that you have given us life because you have finished off the biggest issues in our lives and because we are free from our sin we are detached from the shame and we don't have to live by our own righteousness lord jesus we can live our lives new today we can live our lives investing and have meaning and we can live our lives with the confidence to know that when this life ends true life begins so lord i pray right now that those who've come to this place of wanting to to lean into that make a commitment that you would give them the courage in these moments and lord jesus as we sing about your love being surrounding Your love has pursued us. It is present. It is above us, below us, in front of us, behind us. And that, Lord, we would finally give in to your pursuit. Stop hiding. Step into your light of your resurrection and choose to follow you with our lives. We thank you, Jesus, in your name.